Matthew 21, verse 23 through 32. And when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? They discussed it amongst themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious, precious word. We ask, Lord, that you be pleased to bless it to our hearts this morning. We all collectively look to you, Lord, that you would teach us and guide us, that we would truly hear from you this morning, Lord. So, Lord, we open our hearts and uh, we lift them before you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Last week we began to look at these verses. In fact, we looked at the first half of our reading, verses 23 through 27, and, and uh, you'll recall that in these verses we see this great clash of authority, don't we? Uh, the religious leaders, they come and approach Jesus even while he is uh, teaching in the temple, and they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? You know, who gave you this authority? And uh, really, to put it in, in contemporary terms, they're basically saying, and what gives you the right to be in here doing this? And, of course, Jesus, he, he, he's really amazing. He silences them with a single question. He basically says to them in, in uh, verses 24 and 25, he says, I'll, I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, then I will answer you. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from man? And the religious leaders at this point kind of have this huddle, you know, and we're privileged to hear the discussion uh, in the huddle. And we hear them talking this through. Their backs are really against the wall here. And they say, all right, if, if we say that uh, John the Baptist's ministerial authority come from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't we believe him? Okay, we can't do that. If we say uh, that John the Baptist's ministerial authority came from man, then, uh, well, then the people are going to stone us. They're afraid of the people. That's all Matthew tells us, but uh, it's Mark or Luke, I forget which, said that they were worried about getting stoned because the people believed 
that John the Baptist's authority was from heaven. The people rightly believed this. But what we don't hear them discussing in their huddle is what is the truth? What is the truth? And last week we made application of that, you know. They care more about getting rid of Jesus than they care about what's true or what's false. And, and this really is the anatomy. It's the disposition of the unbelieving heart. Uh, all of it, especially those of us who've been called in, uh, in adulthood. I mean, I think we might be able to recall and put our finger on the day when our thinking went something like this. You know, we didn't necessarily care what was true or what was false. What we cared about was throwing off the fetters, if you will, of Christ's authority or being free from Christ's authority. We wanted to live our lives our way. We didn't want anyone intruding in them. We didn't want anyone uh, messing around. We especially didn't want Jesus doing this. And the application goes farther than the unbelieving heart. Uh, the application goes much further than that because even after we become believers by God's grace, there are still areas in our heart that are in rebellion against his authority, aren't there? Uh, we prove that every time we sin. See, we see there's a, a, a massive application here uh, for us. And last week we also looked at how graciously Jesus deals with his enemies. You know, he, he asks them a single question. And uh, in doing so, uh, he's giving them the opportunity to come clean with him. He, he really is. I mean, in their huddle, they could have finally said, you know what, our backs are really at the corner here. Why don't we just repent? It's very clear John's baptism came from, from heaven. It's very clear that this man, uh, Jesus, has been sent from heaven. If they had just said that, uh, things would have been quite different for them. Uh, but they, they don't. Uh, now, uh, what we see, and the reason I want to review all of this is because there's a connection here. Uh, that I want us to see. It's a really important question. Beginning with verse 28, all the way through chapter 22 and verse 14, Jesus is responding to the religious leaders. It's easy to, to, to read verse 27, move to verse 28, and think, okay, one story's over, now another story's beginning. But Jesus is still, he is still responding here. Uh, to these religious leaders. He's still uh, responding to uh, these folks that are confronting him, these folks that are opposing and challenging his authority, and he's going to do it by way of three parables. Uh, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked tenants, and the parable of the wedding feast. And before we get into the first of these three parables, there's, there's something else that I really want to point to your attention. And again, it's, it's easy for this to escape our notice. It's easy just to keep right on going. But the purpose behind these parables seems to be that Jesus continues to be gracious with his enemies. You know, he's being authoritative for sure here. There's no question about that. But that's gracious as well. But he's rebuke. he continues to rebuke them, but he's doing it in a way that's going to cause them to think about the very truth that they're ignoring. And he'll do it by virtue of these three parables. And over the next three weeks, this week, next week, and the week after, we're going to look at the different angles upon which he's challenging them to look at the truth. And uh, I, I don't want to just skip over this because here we really see the character of Christ. You know, look how Jesus... Uh, 
Look how he handles himself with his enemies. He, he continues to be gracious. You know, these are, these are folks that we would call difficult people, are they not? I mean, sometimes we complain about difficult people, and sometimes people ask me, how do I deal with difficult people? You know, uh, how do we deal with difficult people? Well, here's our answer. <laughs> how do we deal with people that are opposing us, people who insult us, people who are offending us, people who rub us the wrong way, people who don't appreciate the things that we do for them? Well, um, <laughs> there's ways that we can often deal with it. We all know them very well. Sometimes we retaliate, don't we? Uh, we snip. We do all of those various things. Sometimes we might even find ourselves treating them worse than they treated us. But I think probably most often, what most of us do is we just kind of fold up, clam up, get quiet, and, and go off into a corner somewhere uh, and say in our hearts, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this person. I'm done. I'm just done with them. I think that's what most of us probably do. I'm done. I'm done with them. Well, notice what Jesus is doing. Uh, he's dealing with some difficult people. We deal with the common insults, we deal with stuff. Some of the stuff we deal with is pretty significant. I don't want to diminish it in any way. But these folks are trying to kill him. And they're going to succeed. He knows full well they're going to succeed. And it just a couple of days. This is, these are the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry here that we're studying. In just a few days, they are going to kill him. They're going to see to it that he is killed in the most brutal way that they had at their disposal at that time, by crucifixion. Yet look at how he is dealing with them. And herein lies the grace to deal with difficult people. I mean, the first thing we need to understand is that we are difficult people. We don't like to put it that way. I mean, usually when people come and say, how do I deal with difficult people? They never, they never come and say, you know, how are people supposed to deal with me? <laughs> I never had anybody ask me that question. How are folks supposed to deal with me? We always say, how are we supposed to deal with the other guy? <laughs> But the first step is realizing that we are difficult people. We have all rebelled against Christ's authority. Uh, we have all wanted Him to leave us alone. We've all wanted to run our lives our way. We've all wanted to throw off His intrusion in our lives. And we demonstrate this every time we sin. But how does He deal with us? I'm pointing this out and really extending this introduction because I want to just want to stop and see, look at how Jesus deals with his enemies. We were once his enemies. How does he deal with us? He's right there lovingly. Lovingly urging us, rebuking us. Authoritatively for sure. But never abandoning us. He never says in his heart, I'm done with them. Not with his children, not with his true children. He never does that, does he? And therein lies the grace with dealing with difficult people. Now, in the message that follows here, I want to explain really the first of these parables, the parable of the two sons. And really in this parable, we see many things, but the two things I want to point out this morning that we see is really the, the calling that's in the parable. We're going to see Jesus is going to reveal the calling of the Father uh, in this parable. And we also see two uh, common responses to that, uh, to that calling. Uh, let's start with the first, the Father's calling. Uh, notice, uh, look with me to verse 28. Again, I want to remind you of the connection. Notice Jesus' words in verse 28. He says, what do you think? 
Uh, who is the you in this verse? Uh, the you is pointing back to the religious leaders who are confronting Jesus. You see that? That's the connection there. Um, he's still, we haven't moved on to a new story. This is still connected here. He says, what do you think? He's graciously coming alongside of them. Uh, and and uh, uh, by application, uh, this would apply to all who are challenging his authority today, not just the religious leaders 2,000 years ago, but all who would, who would challenge his authority today. He's asking us all, what do you think? You know, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. The son answered, I, I will not. That's a pretty disrespectful answer. That's a pretty shocking answer. No, he basically said, no, I will do no thing. But he thinks about it, and afterwards he changes his mind and he goes. And then he went to the other son and said the same, and the, other, the second son said, oh, I go, sir. But then he never shows up. Then Jesus asks a question. Which of the two did the will of his father? And his opponents answer the first. And then Jesus says, notice what he says to them next. Verse 31, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Now, Jesus is doing a lot of things in this parable, isn't he? I mean, for starters, he's clearly showing that John the Baptist's authority was from heaven. Notice he says, John came to you in the way of righteousness. I've been thinking about that sentence all week. John came to you in the way of righteousness. There's a sermon right there. I mean, think about it. John came to you in the way of righteousness. So he's showing that John the Baptist's authority was from heaven. And of course, by showing that John the Baptist's authority was from heaven, he's also showing that his authority is from heaven. Because John the Baptist came to do what? He came to pave the way and point the way to Christ. He was faithful in doing that. That's why they don't want to admit John the Baptist's ministry is from heaven. They can't admit that because in doing so, they're admitting that Jesus' authority is from heaven. But Jesus says, John came in the way of righteousness. Secondly, in his parable, he speaks of a man who calls his sons. That's clearly a reference to the father calling his children. Thirdly, in the sons in the parable are, are, are all who hear the call. Uh, the father calls the sons to go work in the vineyard. Okay, uh, who are the sons? The sons are all who hear this outward call by the father, if you will. Uh, in the case of the parable, the sons are the religious leaders who have heard the preaching and teaching of John the Baptist, the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. Uh, they are the people of Palestine. They are the tax collectors and the prostitutes of whom Jesus speaks about. Fourthly, the, the call of the father is issued through the ministry of John the Baptist. And and now uh, it comes to us by way uh, of the gospel. It began with John the Baptist. It continued with Christ. It's been recorded for us by the apostles. And now it goes forth uh, as we share the gospel. Uh, as we share the gospel publicly now, uh, or as we share the gospel at the water cooler at work, the call is sounded and it goes out. And lastly, to be called into the vineyard uh, is to be called uh, to work in the kingdom of God. 
So the application begins to come into view for us, uh, you know, really through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Uh, the Father is calling, isn't He? Uh, he's calling His children to come into the, to enter into His kingdom and to begin entering into uh, the kingdom labors, if you will, or the labors of the kingdom. And uh, of course, we need to always remember, and I'm going to repeat this several times because this is so very important. The first work, our first work is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in a humble repentance with our eyes on Him, with an eye to follow Him. That's our first work. So uh, we see the Father is calling here, right? Well, we also see there's a couple of common responses to the Father's call. In the parable, there are two sons. Each of them are called by the Father. Uh, the, the first refuses. You know, I will not go. Uh, he later changes his mind, uh, and he goes. The second tells his father, I'll go, but his words are empty. He never shows up. Uh, two uh, common responses uh, to the call. Let's start with the second son. You know, the second son is the one that says that he'll go, uh, but he never shows up. Um, you know, uh, this is certainly an indictment against uh, the ones who are confronting Christ. Uh, this is an indictment against the religious leaders. And as we've been studying through Matthew, we've, on, on several of occasions, uh, we've talked about the hypocrisy of the temple. Uh, the religious leaders, they were supposed to be the men of God. They were supposed to be the ones uh, who were the godly ones, the teachers, the ones who had the spiritual maturity to lead uh, Israel in the way of righteousness. And yet, they had never even entered into the kingdom they had never even entered into the first work, which would have been to have humbled themselves, submitted themselves, surrendered themselves to Christ with an eye to follow Him. They, they were the son that says, I'll go. Uh, but they never show up. And, of course, uh, these leaders represent another group of people who hear the call and begin to work at what they think they should be doing, uh, but never enter truly into the kingdom. Uh, and these groups of folks can be seen uh, in the church. Some of them are actually quite active in the church. They're quite busy in the church. Uh, they, they could be leading the music in the church. Uh, they could be singing in the praise team. They could be involved in the soup kitchen. They could be involved in all, very actively involved in all kinds of aspects of, of church life. But they, they've never entered into the kingdom. They've never, they've never committed that first work of committing their hearts truly to the Father, and uh, the folks are, uh, are still apart from Christ, even though they've been in the church for many, many years. Uh, there's another category of folks that would fall under this uh, category as well. I mean, there's countless of others that have, that have been at church services or meetings and have heard a message that moved their hearts, and uh, perhaps they were asked to come forward in a meeting and uh, they were led in a prayer where they prayed, and in that prayer they committed their hearts to following Jesus, and only for uh, maybe a couple of days later or a few weeks later or a few months later, only to turn away. You see, the second son would represent that category as well. Because here they're saying, they hear the call, they, they know that they ought to do this. We all know that we ought to do this. That's not a question. They know that they ought to do this, and in prayer they say, sure, I'll do it. I, Father, I'm coming. Here I come. And, and then what happens? They don't show up. 
I don't show up. All of these are represented by the son who promised to go but never went. Well, what about the first son? What's the story with the first son? He says, I'm not going to go. I won't go. That's never wise, is it, to say that to your father? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. <laughs> but he later changes his mind and goes. Um, many have walked that road. If we went around the room, maybe there's quite a few of us here this morning that have walked that road. The first time we heard the gospel, we might have thought, that, I think that's something I ought to go do. But no, I ain't going to do it. Uh, we don't put it in those kind of words. We just say, this is not for me. Thank you very much. I've heard enough. Um, but by God's saving grace, and only by God's saving grace, and by His pursuit, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and in the mind, they have a change of heart. Suddenly the things of the world, they just don't seem as precious as they once did, not in comparison to the beauty of Christ. They say, you know what? I've had a change in mind. Uh, I, think I, will, I think I will come. They heed the Father's call. They repent of their sins. And they come in to enter into the kingdom and they enter into its labors. So we see here, Jesus lovingly rebukes and urges and encourages those who oppose him. Uh, I think it's marvelous, isn't it? The way he deals with people that he knows that want him dead. And uh, we think of our, of our own hearts. You know, as we're born into this world, we have that same disposition in our own hearts. We don't want him interfering with our lives. Yet he won't leave us alone. He pursues us, follows us. He gives us that new heart. Uh, isn't that a wonderful? Well, I would like to really wrap things up with just a, a few thoughts about the blessedness of all of this. You know, the blessedness of being called. You know, you think about the blessedness of being called. Who is it that calls us? You know, it's easy to... to I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Maybe, perhaps you have, but... Who is it that has called you? If you're in a state of grace this morning, just who called you into that state of grace? It's none other than the Father Himself. You know, the author to the letter of the Hebrews counsels us here. He says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. That was our memory verse uh, earlier in our service, right? Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. You know, that's exactly what we'll do unless God interferes in our lives and gives us a new heart. We'll harden our hearts. That's what the, that's what the uh, religious leaders were doing. That's what the, uh, the second son was doing. Oh, I'll go. He never shows up. It's because of a hard heart. But if you're in a state of grace this morning, praise be to God that He didn't leave you with that hard heart. He gave you a new heart a heart that was willing to respond and enter into the kingdom work. Um, and you heard His voice and you came. Um, secondly, consider just what He's called you out of. Have you ever stopped to think about just what the Lord has called us out of? He's called us out of horrible darkness, hasn't He? I mean, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, we were darkness. 
but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What a tremendous, tremendous thing. Think of the darkness that we've been called out of. But now the Apostle Paul would refer to us as the light or light in the Lord. They're reflectors, if you will, of God's glory, possessors of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, how wonderful to be called out of darkness. And we think about how horrible the darkness is. But there's more. I mean, let's consider what He's called us to. Consider what He called us to. We, we consider who called the Father, the one who has dwelled in eternity in three persons, the one who created all that is. But what has He called us to? You know, he's called us to be children, sons and daughters of Almighty God, to enjoy all of the privileges of sons and daughters of Almighty God. I mean, I don't know that we're going to get our minds wrapped around that in all eternity of just what the implications of that is. So we think about what He's calling us to. And lastly, let's consider the blessedness of being called to kingdom work. The blessedness of being called to kingdom work. I mean, the Father's calling us to enter into the kingdom, but not just to enter into the kingdom. So many people stop right there. You know, like the whole goal is just to get in, and that's really unfortunate because that's not the whole goal. You know, the, son, the Father's not calling the Son to go into the vineyard just to stand around, pluck a few grapes and eat them. That's not the idea. He's being called into the vineyard to labor in the vineyard. And it, it, what a blessing it is to be called to kingdom work. What could be more exciting and life-transforming than to be brought into the very work of God, to be used as His hands and His feet and His arms and His tools to carry out His business, to carry out His good plans and to carry out His work. What could be more wonderful than that? Yet so many people, they don't enter into the labors. They enter into the kingdom, but they don't enter into the labors. Listen, one thing that you're going to hear from everyone who enters into the labors of kingdom work, they're going to say over and over again that they got more out of it than they gave. How many times have you heard people say that? You know, people get involved in inner city mission work, for example, you know, and they roll up their sleeves and they get involved in the work and, and they'll say, you know something, I know, I, I just feel like I was blessed way more than anyone else in this work. Or they get involved in, in uh, uh, any type of missionary activity or work with children. I mean, there's no end to what this work could be. Uh, and, and their testimony is always the same. When their hearts are in it and they're really in it to follow the Lord and carry out His plans, they always say, you know something, I got more out of this. I get more out of this than anybody. That's always the testimony. You hear that over and over and over again. Consider how blessed this work is. I experienced that Friday night. I just was beside myself Friday night. In fact, I was expecting a big crowd. Melissa told me she was expecting a big crowd. And I told Tammy before I left, I said, you know, I'm actually shaking inside because I'm, I'm just so excited. Uh, it, it, it's just getting involved in these things. It's, this work, to think that at one point in time we might have thought it would be boring to follow the Lord. Um, hardly the case. It is so blessed to be involved in kingdom labors. So we see the Father is calling us. Uh, we see that there are a couple of common responses to his, fall, his call. There's one common response to His call that Jesus doesn't even talk about. And it goes like this. It's the, it's the sign that says, I will not go and never goes. So uh, 
we want to ask ourselves, where are we at on that spectrum? You know, uh, have we entered in, done the first work, truly repented of our sins, truly came right with God? And now we're right with God in a state of grace. Are our sleeves rolled up? Are we involved in, in kingdom work? We see how blessed this kingdom work is. And let's not forget, Jesus is delivering all of this wonderful news to those who are seeking to kill him. Isn't that amazing? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so absolutely amazing. Uh, we are struck with wonder as we look at these things, as we, as we look to you, O oh Lord. We are in awe. We, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you were pleased to record all of this for us, that we, could, that we could stand here and glean from this, that we could truly see the character of Almighty God in the way that Jesus handles himself with those who are seeking to kill him and to share such wonderful gems and such precious jewels with those who simply want rid of him. And we thank, O oh Lord, that that was us once, and we thank you that it's not the case now, that by his persistence and irresistible grace, he has called us to himself. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to enter into the labor, show each of us what we should be doing. And I pray, oh Lord, that we would all receive those wonderful blessings of rolling his sleeves up and laboring in the kingdom. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.